Hello, and welcome to Classes for Bereans. Each Sunday, I teach this class in our local church, and our goal is to connect the dots between Genesis and the book of Revelation to understand how it all fits together. At this point in time, we've come to the book of Ezekiel, and we're looking at the Battle of Gog Magog of Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. And I thought this particular lesson would be appropriate to put on the internet for you to join us, if you will, to our class. In our last class, we studied how God had used Ezekiel to indicate when the latter days would begin and end by using two bookends as time indicators. The first bookend is the Great War of Gog Magog, Ezekiel 38 and 39. The other bookend is the start of the millennium, chapters 40 to 43 in Ezekiel. And those chapters brings the glory of God back to the nation of Israel. Uh, through other prophets, God would give many details of the events that would bring about the coming of the Lord and the start of the new covenant. Now, what we're going to today is to look at that first book and the war of Gog Magog recorded in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Now, rather than focusing upon the war itself and all those details that go with it in those chapters, I'd like to study an area of this passage often neglected but equally important. If you want details of this conflict, please watch my video series on the Battle of Gog Magog. You can view this by going to my website and click on the red box labeled Video Directory. That's the website at cmi-tv.org and you'll see the box Video Directory. That'll take you to the videos that I've produced, the five videos on the Battle of Gog Magog. Today, let's see what this passage teaches about God's sovereignty, or as it is often called, his providence. The sovereignty of God is the continuous activity of God, whereby he makes all the events of the physical, mental, moral realms work out his plan and purpose of history, bringing it back to his original design at creation. In studying this, we can see how God not only guides the believer, but significantly how his sovereignty is over all mankind. Now, in our world today, there are many churches that are so stressing the sovereignty of God that they've lost track of the fact that within that sovereignty that God has, he has generously and graciously allowed human beings to have a free will within his sovereignty, if you will. And so, in other words, within his sovereignty, we're free to carry out various activities, make decisions, come to conclusions, take actions. And as long as that still fits the overall plan of God for his plan for history, he will allow it. He allows us but always a limited amount of freedom, and he's never going to let the true believer drift so far away from what his plan and purposes are that he can allow it in which case he will set, if you will, limits on how far we can go on our free will. But nevertheless, the free will is there. And we're going to see that more demonstrated as we progress in this lesson. Now, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, we're going to look at this total picture of this aspect of God and his sovereignty over the world 
its leaders, and people of the world, including you and me. Now, in this passage, there is a ruler called Gog. At the outset, I would like to take note that Gog may be a symbolic name used by God for two world leaders whose actions call for the destruction of Israel in order to prevent the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ to the earth to regain his kingdom and rule. It may also be the name of a demon angel used by Satan to attempt to destroy Israel. In our previous classes, I have been teaching that God's goal is to bring in Jesus Christ's kingdom back to this earth. In the garden, that kingdom was turned over or usurped by Satan, and that Satan is now the prince of this world. But when Israel repents of their sins, their national sins, turns back to God in total repentance, and calls out and cries for the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, to rescue them, God will send back his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth to regain the kingdom. The only two conditions that would prevent that from happening are, number one, that there is no nation of Israel, for God says the nation of Israel must repent. Therefore, if there is no nation of Israel, <laughs> they can't repent. So Satan's got to stop the nation of Israel. The second is it is the Jewish people of the nation of Israel that must repent and turn to Christ as a nation. Therefore, Satan tries to destroy every last Jew. So the second condition could not be fulfilled and Christ could return to the earth. So now it's very important understanding that, that Satan is trying to stop Israel. And this Gog becomes that person or demon that Satan uses to try to destroy the nation of Israel. Now, recognizing all of those aspects, God sends three personal messages to Gog through his prophet Ezekiel. God will be the either indwelling or be the unbelieving king over the government of Meshech and Tubal in the land of the ancient Scythian people, what could well now be the Ukraine and Russia. We see that in Ezekiel 38 verses 1 and 2. Let's look now first at this first personal message that demonstrates that God's sovereign rule extends beyond Israel to all the nations of the earth. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 13. Now, this is not the first time that God has used unsaved rulers to demonstrate his principles. For example, we have Pharaoh of Egypt. We have Cyrus of the Persians, both men unsaved, God allowed to be used by God in his sovereignty for the nation of Israel and God's plan for history. And so now we come to another ruler, Gog. And at this point, I'm going to add one thing here. Inevitably, I'm going to say God when I mean Gog, or I'll say Gog when I mean God. So be patient with me. And if you think, oh, this is ridiculous, he shouldn't make those mistakes, try to say it 10 times, something about Gog and God, and see if you don't start mixing them up. <laughs> okay, keeping that in mind. As we enter into Gog's world, we find that initially he's not inherently an enemy of Israel. He doesn't have this 
natural enmity between Israel that we've often seen between Israel and Ishmael's Arab's descendants. That natural enmity is between them, but in Gog, it's a different situation. Now, let's look at chapter 38, and we're going to begin in verse 2 here. Son of man, set thy face against Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, thus saith the Lord God. See, God is now going to speak, and he's speaking to Gog through Ezekiel. So God is prophesizing, but also speaking through his prophet to an unsaved ruler. Verse 3, and say, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I'm against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and I will turn thee back and put hooks into thy jaws, and I will bring thee forth and all thine army, horses, and horsemen, all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Now, God's giving us an illustration we can relate to, especially if you're a fisherman. Have you ever gone fishing and hooked a very strong and big fish? Oh, yes. He's the one that got away. Now, in this slide, I couldn't find a picture of a fish that got away, but I did find a picture of a very large fish that actually got away to a different fisherman rather than me. Think about it from the fish's viewpoint. He's swimming along, minding his own business, eating what he thought was going to be an ordinary meal, when suddenly a hook changes his entire life. This is exactly the illustration God wants us to picture when God turns Gog back from his natural ruling function of a nation. For God sovereignly redirects Gog in a way that is contrary to his own will and plans. God is in control and sovereign, not Gog himself. Gog is just a fish on a line. In verses 10 through 12, we do see, though, that Gog has a free will. In verse 10, Thus saith the Lord God, It shall also come to pass, that at the same time shall things come into thy mind, and thou shalt think an evil thought. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling, without walls, and having neither bars nor gates. To take a spoil, and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon that desolate places that are now inhabited, and upon the people that shall gather out of the nations which have gotten cattle and goods that dwell in the midst of the land. You see, rather than fight God's plan, Gog's evil heart freely accepts the direction as his greed takes over. You see, God is the one that is directing Gog with the hook, but Gog's mind, he jumps into this and says, boy, this sounds good because he sees spoil and prey. Now, spoil is a special term, and it's different from prey. Spoil is speaking of the economic gains that a victor gains in a battle. But prey is speaking of an ideological motivation 
in reality an anti-Semitic motive to destroy Israel on ideological grounds. So spoil is what the wealth is that you can get from a battle. Prey is. Because you have an idea that you've got to destroy those people's thinking. Remember something. Think of Paul a minute. Paul demonstrates that he had resisted God's will many times. God had called and God said in Acts, the goads, you had resisted them. So God had been reaching out to Paul many times and Paul had a free will to resist it until finally he comes face to face with Jesus Christ and he yields his free will to receive Christ as his savior. In doing that, Paul changed completely from the path he had been, even to the point of persecuting the church and killing Christians. But before his will was overcome, he didn't serve God. After his will went and agreed to receive Christ, he served the Lord. Now, God becomes the ultimate example of Romans chapter 13, verse 1, which tells us, Let every soul be subject unto higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained by God. So having proved that God controls all nations, not just Israel, God then sends a second message to Gog. God's second message shows that God's sovereign purposes include the unsaved and the saved. We find the second message in verses 14 to 23. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog, Thus saith the Lord God, In that day when my people of Israel dwelleth safely, shalt thou not know it? And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts, thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army. And thou shalt come upon up against my people Israel as a cloud to cover the land. And it shall be in the latter days, and I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen, notice, that the heathen may know me, when I shall be sanctified in thee, or set apart is what that word sanctify means, to be set apart in thee, O God, before their eyes. You see, through the war, the heathen will recognize that the sovereign God of all the world did this as they realize God is the fisherman and Gog is the fish. This event sanctifies or sets God apart from all other so-called gods of nations as the true sovereign God. In Psalm 22 verse 28, we see that for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor, notice, among the nations. He's, he's not a local deity. For instance, the Babylonians had their local deity, and the Syrians had theirs, and they figured, well, Israel, he had the one called the Lord. No, 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 no. God is over all the nations, and he's sovereign on them. Furthermore, unlike a man... God of the Bible has never had need to revise or correct his plan for history because something unexpected happens. 
someone deviated from the plan or some being was more powerful than he was and overrode his decision and his plan? No, 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 no. The God of the Bible is the most powerful being. In fact, the very definition of God includes the fact that he is not only sovereign over the whole creation, but there is no power that can suddenly step in and say to God of the Bible, uh-uh, you, you can't do that. I don't want that. No, God is the only true sovereign of the creation. Therefore, never forget that things do not just happen without God's sovereign control. You know, when Adam sinned in the garden, God didn't go, Oh my, I hadn't planned on this. What am I going to do? I've got to come up with a new plan. I've got to revive. No, not at all. God in his sovereignty knew what was going to happen. He didn't make Adam sin. He gave Adam a free will. But God knew what was going to happen. God had planned for a Savior to come to pay for the sins of mankind on a cross. And that Savior was going to have to be God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. When did God plan that? After Adam sinned? No. God planned that before the foundation of the world. Now, furthermore, Gog was part of God's plan even before he was born. Look at verse 17 and read, Thus saith the Lord God, Art thou he of whom I have spoken in old time by my servants the prophets of Israel, which prophesied in those days many years, that I would bring thee against them. Now, you can search the scriptures to try to find a prophecy in the past where God speaks through a prophet and says, there's a guy coming named Gog who is going to do this to try to destroy Israel. You won't find that. But you will find in scripture prophecies that God gave that said one day a wandering Israel would return to him, that Israel would turn and repent to him and turn to the Messiah for salvation, and that what would help drive this to be would be that Israel would appear to be destroyed in the future, and that they had no hope apart from deliverance from the Lord Jesus Christ. That is in the Old Scripture, in the Old Testament Scriptures, and clearly God's prophecy. So God would restore Israel through his means and instruments in the latter days. And that's what he's referring to here in Ezekiel. Now in verses 18 and 20, we see that God uses his beloved Israel to reveal this sovereignty to the entire creation. And it shall come to pass at the same time when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. For in my jealousy and in the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel, so that the fishes of the sea and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the field and all creeping things, I don't like creepy things, all creeping things that creep upon the earth and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence the mountains shall be thrown down, the steep places shall fall, and every wall shall fall to the ground. In God's sovereignty, we see he is the ultimate controlling being over all humanity, not just believers. He is the Almighty, 
the Most High, the Majesty on High. Look at verse 23. The result of this whole event with God will be, as God says, Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, or set myself apart. I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Now, don't misunderstand that. To know the Lord in that aspect means to recognize that God is real. We live in a world where God's been put out of the world. And they don't think he exists. But they will know then that it was God that, God that did it all. God did it all. And they will recognize that. Now, God's third message demonstrates his sovereignty to us in that what he says he will accomplish, he does, and no power can stop him. This is in chapter 39, verses 1 through 7. Real quick, I'm going to summarize so you know what's going to happen as a result of this conflict with Gog coming against Israel. In a day, God's going to destroy Gog's great army, verses 2 through 5. I will turn thee back and leave thee but the sixth part of thee. Only one-sixth will survive. And will cause thee to come up from the north parts, and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. I will smite thy bow out of thy left hand, and will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. Thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and all thy bands, and the people that is with thee. I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort, and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. Thou shalt fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. Gog's nation is going to also be destroyed, reinforcing God's sovereignty over the nations of the whole world. For in verse 6, God declares, I will send a fire upon Magog and upon them that dwell carelessly in the isles, and they again shall know that I am Lord. Finally, God's ultimate sovereign purpose centers upon the nation of Israel, but also and always includes the rest of creation. Look at verse 7. So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel. First of all, Israel will recognize that God did this. It is their God, the God of the Bible. But then he says, I will not let them pollute my holy name anymore. And notice here, the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. See this? God's trying to demonstrate to the entire creation that he is the sovereign God over all men, both saved and unsaved, righteous and unrighteous. Finally, God's sovereignty will begin the final steps in achieving his plan of history, created before the foundation of the world. Look at verse 21. I will set my glory among the heathen, and all the heathen shall see my judgment and my hand that I have laid upon them. So the house of Israel shall know that I am the Lord, that God, their God from that day forward. Israel never forget God again. Thus we can join with the psalmist to say, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. 
He commanded, and it stood fast. God will do what he says. Psalm 33, verse 8. I hope this class has been helpful to you. Now, I'm going to add as a footnote that I'm not going to edit these videos quite the way I do with our formal videos over on CMI TV. This is for a class. Uh, I make mistakes in a class. I fumble with words, and I have to correct myself. So that's what you're seeing. You're not seeing a perfect product. You're seeing teaching what I believe is what the scriptures teach. Now, may you join us again in a classes for Berean. Until that day, may the Lord bless you mighty, mightily, and I'll either see you here or in the air.